Hey everyone, Redcoat here. Sienge here joins him. And uh, we're here for another podcast. We are. And uh, we're going to kind of continue the grab bag theme this month. Yep. And uh, that means, you know, you never know what's going to come out of the bag. And today, uh, reaching into the bag, we're going to pull out, well, the idea of what games are. Yeah, this is kind of a structural construct, as it were. It flowed out of our desire to figure out better ideas of how to name game genres because the current ones are kind of nonsensically useless. Yeah, there are so many games that fit under one name to the point where many of the different names just don't mean anything anymore. So when we were trying to figure out, well, what are some better names for these, we realized we needed to first go back and say, well... What are the defining traits of games? Because this is the basis on which we need to name these genres. This is the basis on which we need to analyze them. Yeah. Uh, so it's an interesting process of going through, and we'd like to share with you what we came to the conclusions of. Yeah. So the first thing that comes with this is our term for what a game is. The term is a composite experience. In other words, an experience that is made up of multiple components. Now, definitely when you look at things like cinema or music or comic books even, those are also composite experiences, but they're not to the degree that games are. Yeah, the thing that's unique about games is they meld gameplay with this sort of other type of experience that you might encounter to some extent in other media. And that gameplay or um, interactive aspect of the experience is very important. And that's kind of the first major component. We've broken it down into two. Yeah. The two components of the composite, or rather the two components, and those components are made up of other components. Yeah, we'll uh, get into that. But the two components of the game identity or the composite experience that is a game is its mechanical identity and its narvazod. And yes, that is a word we made up. Yeah. We were looking for something to describe what this uh, other component is. And we... Uh, stumbled around the thesaurus for a while before giving up. Yeah, we we went through a bunch of different words, and the problem was every word that we found that could fit it, we kept on just being like, but this has these connotations, and this is used over there yeah. for that thing. So we decided we just make a word that's ours, and it means what we say it means. Let's get into the nervous odd first, because the mechanical identity, which is at the core of all of this, there's a lot more that we have to go over there. Um, the Narvazod is actually going to cover some things that are um, in existence in many other mediums. Yeah. So the first thing is to explain where the word Narvazod came from. For those that can follow along with spelling, it is spelled N-A-R-V-I-S-A-U-D. The reason is because it's the combination of narrative elements. Uh, so these are things like the plot and the setting, which would be environment design and history, things like that. And the audio-visual presentation. Uh, so that's yeah. things like styling, right? So Yeah. So it, just to break it down explicitly, the NAR, the narrative, yep. the viz, the visual, and the odd, the auditory. The yep. NAR, viz, odd. Yep. Just the first three letters of each of those words. Yep. Makes kind of a neat sounding composite word, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. When we came up with it, it was like, wow, that sounds really fun. Anyway, continue. Yeah. So 
it was important to recognize these different aspects uh, that go into this thing. You'll see later that we have broken mechanics down into separate sections, and it was important to recognize that also for this thing that we're calling the Narvazod. So the audiovisual presentation has to do with, you know, a lot of how are things being relayed to you? What's the styling? What sort of visual scheme do they go for? Are they trying to be realistic? Do they go for some sort of like painterly style, cell shaded? Um, but also, what are their sound effects like? Are they going for more comical beeps and boops and stuff? Or are they going for more realistic sound effects? Are they presenting themselves with a lot of ambient sound? What's, what's their music like? Um, so there's a lot of things that go into that. But then there's also the narrative. So we broke the narrative down into plot, which is more or less what you are playing through with the game. What is the character or characters that you're controlling? What is their story? What mm -hmm. are they doing? Uh, and then the setting, which is more of a literary sense. Uh, so the environment design and history is kind of how we, we yeah. ended up settling on. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of discussion on this, just trying to... Trying to settle tease on out, terms. yeah, figure out what we both agreed upon because Sienter was coming at it more from the uh, the visual arts standpoint, mm -hmm. and I was coming at it more from the literary arts standpoint. And so there were some there were some overlap, but we eventually settled. Yeah. So one of the things you'll notice is that we're avoiding the word lore. That's because that word means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And going with specifically calling out what we're looking at with the setting thing of the history of the world and how the environment design has come out of that is an important part of it. Now, it's very important to be very clear about something here. The environment design is not the same thing as the level design. This is very important, actually. It is more like, how is the level dressed? Did they decide that this area is going to look like natural rock formations to block you off? Or is it going to look like, say, a castle wall? Or is it going to be... You know, uh, siding. There's different ways that that could be presented and understanding that that is separate from the actual level design. You might describe it in some ways as the skinning of it. Yeah, it's the dressing. It's, mm -hmm. it's a part of changing your interpretation of the level like these elements well in particular when we're looking at the visual part of it 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 influences things about how you see it yeah it gives a narvazod meaning to the mechanical aspect and that's what games are about is the interplay between the mechanics and the narvazod exactly and this is part of the reason why when we talk about the narvazod we say that this exists in other in other mediums because you can take the elements of the narvazod and apply them to a movie or to a comic or to, well, okay, to a comic that just happens to have an audiobook associated with it. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you can apply these things to those and you would make a similar piece of art, but it would not be the same. Uh, and that's because of the part that we're going to get to now, which is the mechanical identity. Yeah. Uh, just before we step onto that, I want to make it very clear. There's a reason why the Narvazad is separated out like this. And I know I very much so insisted on trying to identify what this thing was. Yes. Because it so often gets lumped into the sort of rest of the game when it, I feel like it is a component of the rest of the game. And I feel like it wasn't given equal footing to mechanics. Yes. And I think that it deserves to have equal footing to mechanics. I think the mechanics are perhaps the more interesting part specifically about games. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the mechanics are stronger than the Narvazod because experience is stronger. The, the, the lived experience that are the mechanics is stronger than whatever Narvazod could be. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't think it should be ignored. 
Almost definitely, because um, many of the things that you recognize about memorable games, and sometimes the first things that you experience, are in the Narvazod realms. Absolutely. Moving on to the mechanical identity and what we're talking about, the core interactions that your player is going to have with your game, and what those look like and what they do to the player. Yeah, and one of the big ideas is how do they feed into the themes of the game, the the composite experience? How well are they integrated? Um, How well are they working with the Narvazod? Or are they working against it? In which case, is that intentional or, or not? So we kind of broken this down into sort of layers, layers of impact, layers of importance, and layers of definition of the experience. Yeah. We have three layers, and we're going to use a house idea to describe the mechanical identity. There are three parts that define a house, and we go from the foundation of the house, what it's built on, the framing of the house, basically the scaffolding and the structure that gives it its shape and its form, Mm-hmm. And then the refinements to the house. And these are what do you put inside the amenities that turn the house from a building a, to a home. Exactly. Yeah. So things like the foundation really define the shape of the place. You know, whether or not you have a basement, what overall shape is it, where are the rooms going to be, that sort of thing. And so you get an idea of here's the space it's going to occupy. And if you change this, you're changing the entire structure. Yeah, if you pull this out, it's not going to look like the same house. No, unless you put the same foundation back in. And then you get to the framing, right? And this is, where are the walls? This is really important. This defines the place space, but it's reliant on the definition that the foundation has had. And you can put different framing mechanics with the same foundation, and there's going to be a relationship between those games as a result. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that foundation will speak to what the core of the game is. Yeah. And and then the refining elements are the things that go on that, again, make it more of a, an actual home. Things like appliances, shelving, you know, the things that make it a livable place. Without them, it would still be a place where you could exist. Yeah. But it wouldn't be a home. And part of the reason of describing it this way is the refining elements absolutely matter. But if you remove them, it does not change the game nearly as much as removing framing. And the other thing is that if you redo your framing, your refining mechanics may need to change also. Most definitely. Uh, so this is kind of the overall shape of, of how we broke these things down. Uh, we will, in the next podcast, a little bit of a teaser, we will probably be getting into the mechanical identity a bit more then. Because we're going to be talking about how we define genres using this model. Yeah. Um, and there's another way of thinking of this overall model, of this composite experience with the different parts. It may be useful to you. I think it was useful for us trying to get onto the same page here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a fountain. It was a picture of a fountain. So the full game, the composite experience, is the fountain itself. Yes. And the fountain is made of two parts, the sculpture part of the fountain and the water. So the mechanics are the the sculpture part. So you have the foundation, you know, was the basin, the base structure, the pipes and plumbing and all the things that make the fountain work, what sort of materials is going to be made out of also belongs here. And then you have the framing, which is the overall form and shape of it. And then you have the refining mechanics, the flourishes and details, the thing that makes it more beautiful, more complete, and not just lumps of stone. Mm -hmm. And then the Narvasad is the water, the water that you pour down 
on the fountain, and it flows around what you've created mechanically, if you've set things up correctly. But if you haven't, you can have water that's coming off and missing where you wanted it to go. You can have no water at all, and then your fountain's dry and it's just a statue. And it's it's not providing the full experience that it was meant to. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that also comes along with it, it's like with the foundation, um, if you don't build the piping in the basin right, it won't be set up to actually use the water in the proper way. The water won't flow through it correctly. Yeah, and it will just kind of peter out and stop working right. So this sort of model of a functional fountain was very helpful for us in, in trying to convey and understand these concepts. So I hope it helps you as well. One of the other things we wanted to hit here is, as we stated, the game is a composite experience. And mm -hmm. we've noted that the game has a mechanical identity and a Narvazod. But one of the other things that's important to note is that the Narvazod and the mechanical identity are working together towards something. Yeah. And uh, that is the overall theme of the game. Yeah, so you can find examples of this uh, if you look at God of War, where you have this revenge story. The mechanics are, are all about reinforcing how brutally powerful Kratos is. Yeah. The Narvasad elements of that are also working on exploring how brutally how, powerful he is. How brutally powerful he is and how brutal his world is. Like, it's a game yeah. that you feel justified in being angry at that world. Mm -hmm. um, and in ripping it to shreds, and it makes you want to feel good in that way. Yeah, so these are working together towards supporting this theme. And that's, again, why it was so important to pull the Narvasad out and not say that the Narvasad is, like, the theme of the game or something like that. Yeah. But that the theme of the game is the Narvasad, because I think it loses something very important in the process. An excellent example that always comes to mind when I think about these things not working together is when the Narvasad tries to state something, and the mechanics disprove that. Yeah. Um, and the example that I have is from Guild Wars 1. So there is a character in Guild Wars 1 Prophecies called Prince Rurik. He is the Prince of Ascalon, which is the kingdom where you start, and he is shown to be a great hero of the people. He cares about his people. They are in the middle of a terrible conflict, and he's like, we cannot keep the land and save the people. We have to sacrifice the land to save the people. We have to just leave, go to our neighbors who are offering us a place to live. Mm -hmm. So he bravely defies his father, the king, and leads his people over the mountains, sacrificing himself nobly in the process to ensure their survival. Mm. The players think he's an idiot. And the reason for this is because of the mechanics. He would come along with you on missions as an NPC, and he basically was an escort NPC. He would get into fights with enemies and help you fight them, but he wasn't necessarily that powerful. And he had, shall we say, heightened aggression senses. Mm -hmm. He was well known for rushing off into groups of enemies while the player was fighting something else, getting lost, and getting killed. And when he died, the mission was a failure and you'd have to start over again. These missions could last, you know, 40 minutes, an hour maybe. Yeah. So... Players really hated him for running off like an idiot and getting himself killed. And so he became less known as the martyr character who sacrificed himself in a heroic manner, but instead became known as the guy that is always getting in your way. Mm-hmm. And causing you to lose and fail, and players cheered when he died. Yeah. Instead of mourning him. And that is because the base sculpture of the fountain, the mechanics we're not lining up with what the Narvazad was trying to convey. Exactly. It's what we would term as a mechanical dissonance 
the intention was for this character to be one thing, but the mechanics don't actually reflect this thing. Yeah, and they did better in later games mm -hmm. about making you care about the uh, NPC companions, but they learn from this, and mm -hmm. this is an area where we can learn too, mm -hmm. and we can say, okay, we want to make sure that the mechanical experience of our characters relates to the Narvazod. Yeah. There's another example, actually, of the same sort of thing where the Narvasad is one thing and the mechanics are another. Mm -hmm. That's in Magic the Gathering. Now, in Magic the Gathering, obviously, they don't have an audio-visual element so much. Well, they have a visual one. Uh, they call it flavor typically there, but it's the same idea as the Narvasad in, yeah. in, in terms of capturing that non-mechanical space Yeah. And, and the interplay between them. And there's a character in Magic called Jace. Hmm. And people complain about him being in the story too much and being kind of... Um, Kind of a Mary Sue-like character, you know, that mm -hmm. sort of thing, the, the face of the game for no good reason sort of thing. And they complain about him showing up in the story too much. Mm -hmm. Now, part of this isn't so much because he shows up in the story all the time. He'll show up every now and then, but he's mostly a major story character just a handful of times. Mm -hmm. and, and overall, there have been a lot of other characters that have gotten massive highlights, and he's not shown up all the time. However, whenever they make a Jace Planeswalker card, you know, yeah. physical cards you play with, they often make him good enough to see play all of the time in Standard. And so mechanically, he shows up everywhere. Yep. So mechanically, you constantly see him. He has consistently gotten some of the most, if not the most powerful, Planeswalker cards mm -hmm. out of all of their cast of Planeswalkers. So he will consistently show up all of the time. His cards tend to be the chase cards of the Planeswalker cards. Mm -hmm. So you run into this thing where, well, maybe in the story he doesn't show up all the time, but because players are mechanically interacting with him all the time, they think he is more prevalent than he is. Yeah. So that's just another example where you have to be very conscious of the impact of the mechanics, the experience that the players have. Mm -hmm. And you need to make sure that that aligns with what you're trying to do with your Narvazad as well, and that you are, in fact, viewing them as working towards a singular goal yeah. together. And that is to support the themes of your game. Because you can also have it where the mechanics are supporting the themes of your game perfectly well, and the Narvazad is completely failing you. Oh, yeah. There are examples of that out in the world. Yeah. It's not something I personally think about as much, because I tend to be much more mechanically focused. But yeah. Looking at some of the other elements here, so you have the theming, and that is what everything is working towards, mm -hmm. but there's also the concept of how the mechanics and the Narvazod um, interact, and we came up, um, well, I won't say we came up with new words, but we're using a few words to help talk about this concept. Yeah. Um, and so you have the integration, which is specifically how well they work together. Um, like what we just talked about with, um, you know, you have something that you're trying to convey and the mechanics need to say kind of the same thing that the narrative does, or at the same time, they need to work together to say that thing. Yeah. And then you have the concept of influence. Um, your Narvazod and your mechanical identity, just because they are too you know, two unique elements, it doesn't necessarily mean that they won't change each other. Because of the composite nature of the gaming experience, um, your Narvazod will affect your mechanical identity most of the time, and your mechanical identity will affect your, um, your Narvazod. A good example of this actually is Highway to the Moon, Mm -hmm. our our game plug yeah uh coming soon to steam yeah coming soon we um, are we are working on it we're getting it ready yep we had 
this mechanical desire for a jump mechanic. You may remember this from our discussions about the game. And then as like not implementing that, and we got the phase mechanic, which changed the Narvisod. Oh, it did. It changed a lot of things because the phase mechanic introduced this new concept to just how the world worked. And you now we could have done the easy thing and just said, he turns blue and now he's invulnerable and just leave it at that. Never explain what that even is. But instead, um, we actually went the extra route and said, well, that's him shifting into another dimension, like partially. And it also made it so that this, this was a tool and this became a part of what Jake was doing, how he interacted with other characters. The fact that he even had this gear changed a lot about the plot later on as well. Yeah, like uh, in one of the levels where it's stated that that's the reason why he's getting attacked by certain enemies. Yeah. So it can work both ways, where mechanics can inform your Narvazod, but your Narvazod can also inform your mechanics. The thing that's useful about this fountain analogy is that you can start with the sculpture Mm -hmm. and say, here's the sculpture we want. Let's figure out how water best flows on this to highlight and accentuate its elegance. Yes. But you can also start with, here's how we want the water to fall and move. And here's, you know, a Narvazod focus. And then what's the structure to allow it to fall that way? And, yep, what's the sculpture that we need to make that happen? So it encapsulates this idea of bottom-up and top-down design, Mm -hmm. where you start with mechanics and figure out what the flavor of those is, uh, the Narvazod of those is, or where you start with the Narvazod and figure out what the mechanics are that you need to support it. And it's very important in, in the long run, kind of the final point is, making sure that your game is being cohesive on mm-hmm. both of these and that they're working together and they're not fighting against each other. Exactly. Because as a composite experience, a game is emphatically the sum of its parts, but it's important to remember that when those parts are added together, um, ideally they merge and they create an experience. Yeah. Uh, so I think that about wraps it up for this. I suspect if we talked any more on it, we'd start rambling. Oh, most definitely. Because we're, we're prone to that sort of thing. We certainly can be. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, next week we're going to be talking about how we want to try to define genre using this fountain model. So join us then. And until next time, this is Sientier signing off. And this is Redcoat signing off. Play the games you want to play, boyos.